Hello and welcome to Parkinson's Life, the award-winning podcast offering a voice to the global Parkinson's community. Each episode, we bring together people impacted by the condition for an honest conversation to share their stories, perspectives and ideas on how to live well with Parkinson's. In our second episode on deep brain stimulation, two guests discuss what life is like after having DBS surgery, from symptoms and charging the device to check up some body image. Our first guest is Peter Shieldseth, a 58-year-old retired chief operating officer who now does pro bono work for a startup. Peter lives in Germany with his husband, as well as his pet dog, Basti. Peter was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2014 and says that taking the decision to have DBS four years later has had a significant impact on his experience of tremor. He talks to Louise Ebenezer, a Parkinson's disease nurse specialist based in Wales, UK. Louise's role includes meeting with people who've been diagnosed with the condition and discussing referrals for treatments like deep brain stimulation. She describes her job as the best one she's ever had and says she now can't imagine working in any other area. This episode was funded by Abbott, who is dedicated to helping people live more fully by transforming the future of healthcare through life-changing technologies and products. I'm Peter Schielzett. I'm 58 years old. I'm from Germany. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's about seven years ago at the age of 51. And I had DBS three years from now at the age of 55. And uh, I live together with my husband, Daniel. He's my husband since 16 years. So he went through all the ups and downs of my Parkinson's with me and my movement coach, Basti, which is our dog. And he keeps me moving no matter what the weather is like. Hello, I'm Louise Ebenezer, um, a Parkinson's disease nurse specialist, which I've been for the last 18 and a half years. I've been a nurse for 36 years. I fell into this role. I was on, on a ward sister and took over overseas nurse recruitment nearly 20 years ago. Um, and after I'd been involved with that, I missed seeing patients. So this job came up in this health board, um, which was funded by Parkinson's UK, and, and I got it. And it's the best job I've ever had. Um, I can't imagine ever working in a, any other area except Parkinson's now. Peter, you've said you've been diagnosed seven years ago. What symptoms did you notice first um, and who diagnosed you? Actually, the, the, the symptoms that I noticed first was the, the problem with the typing on the keyboard because my finger tapping wasn't correct. So I made a lot of typos in my emails and I thought, what is that? Why am I typing so many mistakes? A friend of mine, he's an orthopedic surgeon and I went to see him. We went to his home because he's a good friend of ours and I was sitting on his sofa and he was checking a couple of reflexes in the legs, etc. and was doing a few tests and a few examinations and he said, I think I have to send you to a neurologist. And he didn't say what he was worried about, but he said, go to a neurologist and he'll take it from there. And that's how it how it basically started. Did that affect your work and how, how you managed on a day-to-day -day basis? Oh, yes, of course, with all the emails that I had to write, it affected my, my work reputation because they said, oh, there's another typo email coming from Peter and other work impacts. When the tremor started, it was very difficult for me because I was working as a sales manager and it was very difficult for me to go into a negotiation and having a poker face when you negotiate and you start shivering. Has work changed since your diagnosis? Well, uh, I had a very understanding boss and I told him all about it. And he said, okay, we'll try to find something for you, which is more uh, working on internal stuff. 
so that you're not that much into a customer facing job anymore. And that helped me a lot to get my confidence back in what I do. And I was, when I was standing in front of a team uh, presenting, I always had the tremor and everything was shaking, but I just mentioned it from the start. This is what, what I have. And so everybody understood. It takes the pressure off you a little then, doesn't it? When you tell people what's going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And being open with it, I was always very happy that I did that because it helped me a lot. And you don't have to hide and play games. Why are you not there or why are you not presenting or so? Everybody understood that. So that was great. Yeah, that's very good to be able to be open and honest because an awful lot of people are afraid, aren't they? They're afraid to, to let anyone know for, about their diagnosis. They still think there's a stigma to it, but it, it's no different than having other illnesses. The more open you are, the more you can come to terms with it and get on with your life. Exactly, exactly. So when did you have your surgery, Peter? The surgery was in 2018. Uh, at that time, I was uh, four years into the into my diagnosis, and the tremor was getting that bad. So I contacted a few neurologists, not only the one that I go to regularly, but also asked others, and they all said uh, we are at a stage where we actually uh, recommend that surgery earlier than before. So they said, looking at your uh, condition, it might have a positive impact on your progress, actually. So I did very early. Yes, because we, we, in, in, in the UK, you have to have a diagnosis of four years before you can be referred to surgery. Tremor is a very good um, indicator that, that DBS will work. Exactly. And then those people who have dystonia, it helps those patients with, with Parkinson's and dystonia as well. So actually to have it early on, it's far better, isn't it, than, than wait until your symptoms become more complex and more difficult to manage. And your overall health status goes down as you get older anyway, so it's much lower risk to have the operation earlier. Yes, and your brain is is more um, able to cope with it the younger you are as well, isn't it? Rather than waiting t too long. Exactly, exactly. And then come to a certain stage where you're really depressed already from the progress of your Parkinson's and then have that challenging surgery. What were your thoughts about having surgery? How did you feel about it? In the beginning, it was scary to hear the stories of an eight-hour operation that you do fully awake. And I was a bit scared of that. So when I first heard it, I said, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. But then I talked to some people who already had it, and they said it's not as bad as it sounds. If you slice the whole surgery into pieces, like there's the moment when you get prepared with this frame on your head, and then you have your MRI, and then you go into the uh, operations room, and uh, it's only about an hour that you're actually fully awake when they do the adjustment of the electrodes. And then if you cut that into pieces, like everything that looks big, when you have it ahead of you, uh, it makes it a lot easier. And that's how I looked at it. Cut it in slices and there's nothing wrong with putting that metal frame on your head or having an MRI. It's just that surgery. Yeah, it's a very good way of thinking about it because it's the same as any any task you have to do with Parkinson's is breaking it down into its smallest component parts and then it becomes more manageable, doesn't it? Absolutely. You have to have it in digestible pieces. Yes. Did you have any problems post-surgery? Not really. In the beginning, I thought uh, when I came out of the ICU, basically I thought all oh, the tremor is gone. I looked at my hand and it was completely still. 
And after a couple of days, it started shaking again. So I was getting a bit depressed. And then the doctor said, no, no, it's normal. It has to settle everything first. So these were the only problems at the beginning. The tremor was back, but after a couple of days, it was all okay. And having having knowing that, you, that the, everything has to settle down before your programmer, your DBS is, is optimized, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I was in hospital for two weeks, and after that, I had a two-week recovery phase. We went on vacation to a small island, and it was very relaxing. And then we've seen the doctors again, and then they readjusted the settings and everything was well. Have you had to have your adjust your settings adjusted very much? Well, I go for regularly checks uh, once a year in the hospital where I had my surgery, uh, but there's not much adjustment done lately. In the beginning, it was putting the amplitude a bit up a little bit, but uh, lately it's been more or less the same. Uh, Louise, I'm actually really interested in your job as a uh, Parkinson's nurse. Uh, I think that's something we don't have in Germany. It's very familiar to me from English or American friends. You said before it's funded by the Parkinson's UK initiative. Yeah, so all Parkinson's nurses in the UK, the post can be pump primed. So they will pay for the job for the first year to 18 months to two years. And then the health board that you work in, as long as they guarantee they'll take the nurse on, they will fund the post initially. And my post was funded nearly 19 years ago and I've just um, had a new nurse and it's been funded um, for succession planning for when I eventually retire. So we've now got two Parkinson's nurses. Um, and what we do as Parkinson's nurses, we meet patients once they've been diagnosed. As the nurse, I follow up all the reviews and we see patients every four months. We then have complex clinics. So we run um, those as the nurse and the consultant. We, we, we see patients jointly to discuss if anybody needs non-oral therapy, such as uh, referral for deep brain stimulation. So I work in a district general hospital and we do our own duodopa and we do our own apomorphine. And apomorphine is very much a, led, a nurse-led service. But with DBS, we have to refer to a tertiary center. Do you see the number of uh, DBS cases rising in your practice? Yes, it's, it's been a bit slow, but we've just referred two young ladies. So one is in her late 30s and one is in her early 40s. So one has got quite a lot of dyskinesia and the other one has got quite a marked tremor. They're both young. Their brains are, are, are fully intact and working, so it will be good for them. And, and as you said, the younger the person, the better they are and earlier in the disease process. And the feedback you're getting or the results that you see, are they always positive? Yeah, on the whole, it's very positive. Um, and it's about managing expectations of the individual. So we know it's not a cure, but it's another treatment for Parkinson's. But your tablets go down quite significantly. So the pill burden is huge, isn't it? So the timings aren't quite as crucial when you're when you're on DBS as not on it. So it does help. You 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 live your own life, don't you? Then and you get back to 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 working and doing everything that you want to do. Peter, after your DBS, how much of an impact has it had on your on your life in a, in a positive or a negative way? Well, the positive impact was definitely that the tremor was almost completely gone. So I could stand in front of a crowd again and talking. And uh, as my husband said, uh, in bed, I was actually quiet. 
Whereas before I was always having the tremor and all of a sudden he thought, is he still alive because you don't, you don't see or hear or notice anything anymore. So that tremor was gone. That was the best impact. What would you say to somebody who is contemplating having DBS? Well, look at your symptoms and get the doctor's recommendation whether DBS helps. And if it helps, like for example, with the tremor, do it. Don't waste your time. Do it if you're fit enough for it. And uh, I would always do it again, and I'm very happy that I did it. You've noticed an improvement in your tremor. Are there any symptoms that you still have prior to having your DBS and they're still present now? Oh, yes. The fine motor skills are still sort of uh, down, and I'm getting balance issues as well. So that's also something that can't be fixed by the DBS. So that's still there or building up slowly, but again... If, if I switch off my, my DBS device, it's going to be horrible. I want to be dancing like that. And is your, your stimulator, your battery rechargeable or non, non-rechargeable? It is rechargeable. It's rechargeable. So do you just, you, you charge it every week? Yeah, well, you have this little device and it tells you every day to check the status of your stimulator. And usually I recharge it once a week. Once I forgot to recharge it, I ignored the warning signals and I woke up in the morning with my arm dancing. And <laughs> that's an experience that you don't need. Exactly. Um, it, you only do it once, don't you? You don't do it again. You don't do it again, no. <laughs> Not at all. And once it was at the airport of Miami when I had a flight to Miami and I was standing in the queue of immigration and this device went off. But for whatever reason, it was still charged, but the device went off. So I was standing in that queue in front of American customs. So that was an interesting feeling as well. But then it started again, uh, luckily enough. I, I presume you have a booklet of do's and don'ts after you have DBS. So you, you don't go through the scanner. You show you carry a letter with you. You show your, your DBS passport and then you go through it. And there's never any problem traveling with it, is there? No, no, not at all. They're all very understanding and helpful. And it's the same if you ever had to have a, a scan, an MRI scan, you would just turn your DBS off for that that time? Well, the MRI scan is a bit of a problem I just went through because I have problems with my hip. And uh, the doctor wanted to have an MRI scan. And uh, I talked to my neurologist and he said, oh, it's better you go for a CT scan. Yeah, it's better because switching it off, then you might have to uh, be sort of put to sleep a little bit so that you don't shiver that much, etc. So we went for the CT scan. Yes. Well, we often do that with our patients because of the problems with MRI. It's anything that's magnetic, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. How long after your surgery did you notice an improvement? Well, as I said, it was basically immediately when I came out of the ICU and I checked my hand and it didn't shiver. So that was the best feeling I had. Fantastic. It, it is. It, it, I think that that's what's needed, isn't it? To see the improvement, to know that your medication is going to be reduced and your quality of life is going to be improved, even though it's we know it's not a cure, but it is another treatment that is positive for Parkinson's. Exactly. Without tablets. Without tablets, isn't it? Because that is the bind of your life, isn't it? The, the, yeah. the amount of tablets you have to take. You're listening to episode 11 of series two of the Parkinson's Life podcast with Peter and Louise, funded by Abbott. Be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform to hear more from the series. The 
So what I would be interested actually emotionally, I didn't feel much difference other than the fact that I was happy about the progress with the tremor. But from your point of view, what do you see with your patients? Do they have emotionally stressed? It's a mixture of both. I'm just thinking of the latest lady that's had her DBS. Her medication is significantly reduced. But when I last saw her in a clinic, her husband said, I've got my wife back. And that, you know, he started crying because he was so emotive because she had disappeared or the wife he knew had disappeared. But for him to say, and she's been diagnosed 18 years, this lady, and, and she was happy. She was thrilled that she could reduce her medication. Her tremor had, had disappeared. Her dyskinesias had, had disappeared. I have had some patients that still have some motor fluctuations with DBS. And sometimes when they're switching off, their emotions are more heightened and they can become tearful. So that can happen before DBS. It still can happen during um, and after DBS in certain patients. So psychologically, a lot of them are fearful, as Peter said, about going for surgery. But once they've spoken to someone else and seen how positive it is, they come away with hope and they, they feel quite elated, really, after surgery. And then they can see the positives long term, isn't it? Absolutely. And the recovery process of the patients, is that also normally quite simple? It's quite, it's quite simple, really, when somebody's had their, their surgery. Obviously, we have to be vigilant for any infection, any headache, any problems with the wounds. And if that's fine, and then they go back and they're programmed, and then they may go back for several visits until they've got the stimulator on the correct setting. And it doesn't, it doesn't alter very much once the stimulator is set and you're still on your medication. Things settle down for quite a period of time. But we do still alter medication and the stimulator can be checked um, and changed if there is a problem for, for patients. And that's very individual, isn't it, Peter? That's correct. But there's nothing that it stops them doing their work or doing their normal life after surgery. No, well, that's what people say. They've got their life back. They can return to normal. I've got a young lady now who wasn't sure whether to take um, early retirement on, on ill health. And she's about to go for assessment for, for DBS. So I've said, just hold on first until she has assessment, has her surgery and sees what life is and how, how it's improved after her surgery with a, with a reduction of her symptoms, which are problematic. And I think what's really important for for patients is whenever you're in contact with another healthcare professional, whoever they are, you need to tell them you've got a stimulator just in case anything interferes with it. So it's very important to tell everybody that you've still got this in place. Because sometimes you can see them in their head and sometimes you can see wires, but the majority is just under your clavicle, isn't it? And it's not noticeable at all. If you have short hair like me, people sometimes say, what is this in your head? But it's related to the short hair that you see too much. Exactly. And I, I think lots of ladies are maybe concerned about body image and will it affect them brushing their hair and blow drying their hair? And, and there is nothing to be worried about at all. That's true. And... Uh... Do you actually think from your experience that we should raise the awareness for DBS uh, surgery or is that something that's sort of getting more and more into mainstream treatment of DBS? I think it's always been there as mainstream, but I think even with health professionals that just manage people with Parkinson's, we need to raise the awareness to make sure they can select the correct patient at the right time to go for DBS, not leave it too late. 
I think in some parts of the UK, we're slower at referring than others. Um, and, and I know we need to dispel a myth in patients that they're afraid to have surgery on their brain. And I think that's what frightens people initially, isn't it? Exactly. That's the thing. And then you're fully awake when you have that surgery and somebody is digging in your brain. And scary imagination, yeah. It is. And then, you, you, yeah, your imagination does run wild and, and all sorts yeah, exactly. go through it, isn't it? <laughs> Peter, because of COVID and not being able always to see your healthcare provider, how have you been reviewed um, if there's been a problem with your Parkinson's or your DBS? Well, so far during COVID, I also I always attended face-to-face appointments for the check of the parameters and the symptoms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we haven't uh, worked on a hybrid model like face-to-face and uh, Zoom calls or something like that. But I think that's something that should be possible, like the the routine neurologist examinations with your finger tapping and that stuff and walking. But I have a normal adjustment appointment once a year uh, when we do the settings. And uh, I do that in the city where I had my operation, which is, I think, the furthest away in Germany you can go to. It's about 700 kilometers. But uh, it was due to a personal recommendation of that doctor so I was very happy that I went there and had a very good relationship with him. I trusted him a lot. So I still go there uh, once a year during vacation mainly. Other than that, I also have a doctor here who can look after the the uh, parameter settings. So I go local and far away. I, I think that's the way most patients have their care delivered, isn't it? So you go to the, the tertiary center where they put in your DBS and then you've got a local service that manages Absolutely. the day-to-day yeah. management of Parkinson's. So everything is joint. Exactly. You have to get your right team together and you have to have the right people on it. Yeah, that's key, isn't it? And it's it's whatever suits you as an individual because it's such an individual illness. It's it's always about your needs, not, not comparing to other people. It's only whatever it's most important for you and how we manage your symptoms. Yes, there's no one size fits all in Parkinson's. Is it inconvenient recharging the battery? And does that have to be every day or does it once a week? What What are the benefits and what is the disadvantages of having a rechargeable battery? Very good question. Uh, I think the benefit of it is that you have a, a device that can sit in there for 15 years or so is the current estimate. Uh, and you don't have to get a replacement once the battery is empty. And uh, of course, you have to recharge it like you have to recharge your mobile phone. But my mobile phone, I have to recharge much more often than I have to recharge my DBS device. So the DBS device is approximately once a week and it lasts about three to four hours till it's fully fully recharged. And I have this little handheld device that warns me every day, check the status of your DBS battery and uh, I have to confirm it. And uh, then once a week, I put my charging unit on top of the DBS device and I walk with it or I walk around with it for three to four hours and it should be recharged. It's just getting a routine, isn't it, of, of, of checking your battery and recharging it every week. Absolutely. It's, as I said, like your mobile phone, you have to recharge as well and you wouldn't be able to live without it as well. No, not at all. Whereas if somebody's got a non-rechargeable battery, in their device 
they, they last two to five years. So if a rechargeable one is lasting 15 years, you may end up, if you've got a non-rechargeable battery, going back three times within that time frame to have a non-rechargeable battery changed. But everybody always carries their external stimulator with them and checks their battery on a daily basis because it's routine. And if you do it regularly, you don't forget. No different than taking one pill in the morning, is it? Exactly. Exactly. It's much easier, actually, than taking yes. the pill. Yes. <laughs> so, Peter, I've got a new patient. What advice would you give them about having DBS? Don't expect a miracle that it solves all of your problems. There are certain problems, there are certain symptoms that we as Parkinson's people have that can be uh, helped with DBS and talk to your doctor whether you have one of these symptoms. And if he says, yes, it can be helped with DBS, then do it. But don't expect everything to go away after the DBS surgery. It's just uh, one part of your treatment. Yeah, real, realistic expectations that, yes, it's an extension of your medication. So, Louise, from your perspective, uh, what would you recommend to your new patients in terms of DBS? What is the advice that you give them? When I, when I see somebody that we've identified that, that would benefit from DBS, we give them obviously all the benefits and we also explain what the side effects and, and the risk of surgery. Quite often we get them to meet another person with DBS to show them what the positive um, aspects of it is. Obviously, we don't paint a rosy picture that everything is going to improve. Like you said, Peter, you're still living with, with Parkinson's. You're still going to have symptoms. The DBS will improve the majority of your symptoms and you'll have a better quality of life with DBS, knowing that you're still living with a, with a long-term condition. It's a lot of counselling from our perspective before we actually refer to our tertiary centre. But I also say to patients, go with an open mind. You can always pull out if you're fearful, but you need to know what's involved so you can make an informed choice. And always take your your husband, your, your wife, your spouse, your, your significant other with you so they can make an informed choice with you. And, and it's, it is going with an open mind and, and not being too fearful of what surgery means. Yes, I, I think that's also a very good point to get away from these horror stories about the surgery and, as you said, have an open mind going into the process of making your decision. Life is a risk, isn't it? Everything we do has risks. So it's always weighing up the, the benefits against risk. And as long as you can have that clear in your own mind, then you're going to do very well. Because I think hope is, is the biggest thing we've got with this illness and to keep on living, living your life. Oh, Peter, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you. Real, real pleasure. I'd love to meet you in real life one day. It's, it's lovely. Yeah, maybe I move to Wales to get a nurse like you. <laughs> <laughs> Parkinson's Life magazine is produced by Speak Media on behalf of the European Parkinson's Disease Association, the leading voice for Parkinson's in Europe. For the latest research and information on Parkinson's, visit epda.eu.com. This episode was funded by Abbott, who is dedicated to helping people live more fully by transforming the future of healthcare through life-changing technologies and products. Thanks for listening to the Parkinson's Life podcast. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review. It helps make sure that others can find us. And if you'd like to share your story with Parkinson's Life, get in touch through Facebook, Twitter, or by emailing editor at parkinsonslife.eu. Keep a lookout for our next episode. And until then, 
Take care.